You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, for Eileen and for the many of you who are like her, who are catching a vision for what God is doing beyond your own community, and we are grateful for your prayers and for your support. We've been in a sermon series uh, with Pastor Rick called Come and See about how Jesus invites us to come and see what he's doing so that we can also invite others. And this morning, we are joined by uh, Rod Reed, who's a missionary in Kenya. And he's going to be sharing with us a lot of the ways about how Jesus is, is extending that invitation and participating in the work uh, in, in Kenya and throughout Africa. Rod serves currently as the academic dean of Africa, Nazarene University in Nairobi, Kenya, and his wife Sarah is the children's ministry coordinator for the Africa East Field, which uh, is more than seven countries uh, full of people. And they have three daughters, Rebecca and Katie, who attend Olivet Nazarene University, and Hannah, who's a freshman in high school. Hannah and Katie join Rod this morning, and we'll also get to hear from Katie as well. So would you please extend a welcome to the Reed family, Rod, as he comes to speak this morning. What a privilege it is to get to be with you here at Bethany First Church to share with you about what God is doing in a little corner of the world uh, called Kenya. We are your missionaries. We are your representatives there. And I just want to say to you how grateful we are to be able to be a part of the global missionary family, to serve God together. I believe, I know we live in an age of non-denominationalism, but I'm glad to be part of a denomination that can work together strategically to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great to get to be here in the church of Rick and Annette Harvey. We've known Rick and Annette, my wife and I, since... Um, well, they weren't dual income, no kids. They weren't even single income. They, 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 were, they, were, they were no income, no kids. They were still singles back in the seminary days at Nazarene Theological Seminary. And so we're delighted to get to share with them. I heard Rick, and when I heard that Rick and Annette weren't going to be here today, but out celebrating their anniversary somewhere, I said, Rick, this is my chance to tell all kinds of stories about you, and you won't be able to contradict me. But then I got to thinking about it, and I really thought that's no fun because Rick probably is, if I know Rick well enough, he's probably telling all kinds of stories about himself, and there's nothing left really to tell. He's a great storyteller, great preacher, great minister of the gospel, and I'm, I'm sure you're realizing that as well. It's, it's a joy to share with you today. Just like your theme, come and see. We are here as two of the 700 or whatever missionaries uh, or specialized assignment or volunteers in service of the Church of the Nazarene scattered around the world to invite you to come and see a little bit of what God is doing in our world. As was mentioned, I serve as the academic dean. We have a different title for it over there of Africa Nazarene University. And uh, my wife is the children's ministry coordinator uh, for the East Africa field. You'll hear Katie, my daughter, share a little bit more about my wife's ministry. We want to begin by sharing a video with you of our lives, our ministries there. All the images that you'll see just come from our cameras, our vantage point, or maybe from the university. So you'll see scenes of of the university students graduation or just kicking back having some fun at a banquet or whatever the case may be you'll see scenes of my wife involved in ministry to children children lots of children 
You'll see even our daughters and the things that they're involved in at their schools or wherever they're at in their lives. We want you to get the full picture of what it means to be Nazarene missionaries, your people, your, the people that you have sent out to serve in the kingdom. So let's uh, share, with, share that with you, and then I'll invite my daughter Katie to come up, and she'll give you the perspective of an MK on the mission field. Roll that.
Hannah in the front row made that video from just some photos from our cameras. I think she did a pretty good job. But it is so good to get to be with you all today. We show that video, just like my dad said, so that you can come and see what God is doing in our neck of the woods. But not only is it God's work, it's also your work. Because you help make it possible. And we are one team in the family of the Church of the Nazarene. And it is so good to get to be with my family here this morning. I was about six years old when we moved to Kenya. And my dad, my mom, they thought it would be a good idea to take us to McDonald's to break the news to us. Because they thought that a Happy Meal would make it all better. Let me tell you, it didn't. (laughs) My dad calmly sat us down at the McDonald's table. I was my sister Becca was seven and Hannah was just in diapers and my dad said in his fatherly voice that all fathers have he goes well girls we have something to share with you and I promise I had no idea what he was going to say but I was a very sarcastic little six-year-old drama queen so I replied what we're moving to Africa or something I promise I had no idea and my dad goes Well, yes. And I lost it. I was crying and throwing a fit. And let me tell you, every single person in that McDonald's knew that this little girl was going to Africa and she was not happy about it. And I remember laying in my bed at night and planning how I was going to run away because I was not going to live in a mud hut and eat bugs. That did not sound very Hakuna Matata to me. But we don't live in a mud hut. We live in a very nice house that if you've ever given to Alabaster, you helped pay for. So even though I've never met you, you've already made a huge impact on my life. So thank you so much. But you know, the plans of a six-year-old don't usually go too far. So next thing I knew, I was in Africa, and there was nothing that I could do about it. But the story doesn't end there. Why? Because God happened. And he completely changed my heart. And once I got to Kenya and made friends with the Kenyan boys and girls, it became my home. And they became my people. They became my family. 
And they say, looking back, hindsight is 2020. And I can honestly say to you today that I believe with everything in me that moving to Kenya is the best thing that could have ever happened to me and my family. And I'm so thankful to God for calling my family there. But then I fell so in love with Kenya that after I finished high school and was expected to come back to the States for college, the Lord asked me to take a year after I finished with high school to work in different slums and villages in Kenya, working mostly with children with special needs because those with special needs in Kenya are hidden or abused, beaten, and then also with women who are recovering from prostitution and men and women who are HIV positive, men whose bodies are so withered that they weigh significantly less than I do. And in that year, God taught me so much, but my heart fell even more deeply in love with East Africa and our beautiful people. But our God is faithful. So just as he brought me through the goodbye in America to bring me to Kenya where I found my Kenyan family, he brought me through my goodbye with my Kenyan family to introduce me to the new family that he has blessed me with. And that family is right outside of Olivet, a community called Pembroke Township, where Oprah Winfrey actually came to unveil America's worst poverty. And the Lord has blessed me with the opportunity to serve and be involved in development work in that community. But like I said, they have become my family. And so I share that with you, just as a reminder, just like we sang this morning, that our God is a good, good Father, and that He has a plan, and that He is able. And I want to challenge each one of you. If you hear me say nothing else this morning, I want to challenge you to live a life of yes. Yes to whatever it is that God has in store for you. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. But I do know that our God is able. And if we let him, he can and will use us. So I want to challenge you to say yes today, yes tomorrow, and yes the next day. To live your life on mission. Because he's able to do so much more than we could ever imagine. My favorite quote is, his strength is greater than my weakness. And I've seen him in my life, but then also in the life of my mom and in her ministry as the children's ministry coordinator for East Africa. East Africa is not a teeny tiny little place. A lot of times I'll have people say, hey Katie, you live in Kenya. I know someone in South Africa. Do you know them? And it's like, do you realize that Kenya is the size of Texas? Africa is the size of three times the United States plus India and Australia? It's not a little place. So she has a big job. She's over the countries of Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, South Sudan, the Horn of Africa, and some creative access areas where the church is but where it's not really allowed to be. And so we covet your prayers. Her job is, is an important one for the church in Africa. They say that up to 60% of, of Africa is 15 years of age and younger you can see the vital importance of investing in our children because if we don't, we're not only negatively impacting the, the future of the church, but the present as well. So she trains and equips Sunday school teachers and encourages them. And then she also helps pastors and district superintendents to have the mentality that children are worth investing in. Even though they may not be able to put something in the offering plate, they can have vibrant relationships with the Lord. They can be your missionaries. They can be catalysts for your church to grow. And so we really do ask that you pray for her, her ministry. But again, it's your work in this team. 
and your support that enables her to do what she's doing. So my mom works with the little ones. My dad works with the bigger ones at African Nazarene University. And so I, I just want to take this, this little excuse since it's Father's Day to brag on my father. Just like that song that we sang, Daddy, you're a good, good father. And I'm very blessed that you're mine. So thank you for living a life of yes and being faithful. So now I want to turn this service over to my hero, my daddy. Yeah, I paid her to do that. We got to go out to a nice restaurant. At, no, not really. Huh? <laughs> that journey of saying yes for me began when I was in high school. And uh, uh, I guess at one point when you're talking about career guidance, all that sort of stuff, I was leaning towards uh, electrical engineering as a career. And I was kind of orienting myself that direction. And then, funny thing, a little thing called trigonometry happened. Huh? <laughs> Maybe you share that experience, huh? And uh, my grades began to tank a little bit, though I wasn't, wasn't too bad still at mathematics. Still, I began to realize that that really wasn't what God had in store for me. And I can very clearly remember on a Wednesday night prayer meeting, hot Wednesday night in a part of Indiana, uh, standing up and quoting this verse of Scripture that God had given me in my devotions. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives, to uh, proclaim liberty for those in darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. A beautiful passage of Scripture. God was calling me into the ministry. And if I can brag on my father just a little bit, when I stood up in that, prayer, in that prayer meeting to give that testimony, it was my father who was sitting right next to me. And I could see, I can still remember the seeing tears streaming down his cheeks. Four sons, no daughters in the family, and I was the youngest. And he was so proud that one of his sons was being called to the ministry and supported me in that. You know, we, in Kenya, we have a culture there where if young people want to pursue that kind of a life, a life of service, a life of ministry, many times the community almost discourages it because they want you to go into a, a profession that will bring money back into the family. All about economics and stuff. And so many young people are discouraged from that. But I'm so glad I had a father that encouraged me. In the I know I'm looking out across this congregation. This must be the service that a lot of the young people attend. I want to encourage you, young people, listen to God's voice. Could I have imagined the wonderful life that God has given me when I was in high school? Probably not. But by saying, as Katie was saying, a daily yes today and yes tomorrow to whatever God's will was for my life, the, the amazing safari... Safari means a journey of adventure. I've been on safari for the last 15 years, serving God as a missionary in Africa. So I just want to put that encouragement to you is say yes to God because He's got great plans in store for your life. And it began with me with that verse of Scripture. If you go to the next slide, it's just been a, 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 a great thing to be a part of this. You know, when I was in... When I was, embracing that call to ministry, I probably spiritualized a lot of that. God has called me to preach to the spiritually poor. 
to the uh, bind up the spiritually brokenhearted, release for the spiritual captives. I was accepting a call to be a minister, pastor of a church somewhere. That's all I knew at that time. Little did I know that God was had things much more physically physical, material realities in mind, and that I would be serving Him in ministry on the poorest continent of the world. But, you know, things are changing. Yes, all of the poverty is there. Yes, the corruption, the tribalism, the, all the negative things you see in the news about Africa is there. It's a reality. But, you know, many people think today that Africa is the next big thing economically. If you come to Nairobi right now, you will see so many investors, particularly from, from China and other places, coming because they see the economic potential in Africa. Uh, I can show you all these articles, including this last one, the next top 10 emerging economies. The ones right now are China, India, Brazil. Many people think the next big emerging economies are in Africa. Kenya is doing some very creative things even. Even one of our own computer science faculty members at ANU has won a CNN award for, for a mobile phone application that he developed. So a lot of exciting things are happening in Africa economically, but also spiritually. Many people think that Africa is the next big thing spiritually. This guy, Philip Jenkins, has written this book, The Next Christendom. The first Christendom was that 1500 or more years from when Constantine became emperor of the Roman Empire and converted to Christianity and all of a sudden Christianity becomes the religion of the whole Roman world and that goes all the way through the Middle Ages when all these great cathedrals were being built across Europe Christianity dominated things economically politically culturally etc Philip Jenkins is saying is looking at where the church is now growing globally and it is growing south of the equator, in the global south, places like Latin America, places like South Korea and other parts of Asia, and especially in Africa. Right now in Kenya, over 80% of the population of Kenya will claim to be Christian. And that's true across the board in countries south of the Sahara Desert. North of the Sahara Desert, that's still part of the 1040 window, primarily Muslim countries. A lot of work to do yet there. Even south of the Sahara, there are still pockets of unreached people groups. But by and large, that first, that first tier of missionary work of introducing people to Jesus Christ and getting the word out, establishing churches and such, has been done across much of Africa. And we can praise God for that. But many people are wondering, like this next slide will show us, what kind of Africa will it be after all of this economic development, after all of this spiritual growth of the church and everything? What kind of Christianity Will it be? We've got a lot of strange forms of Christianity emerging in Africa where they kind of mix African traditional religion with Christianity. So if we don't do what I'm calling the next level of, of Christian missions in Africa very well, if we don't do it carefully, things could get really out of hand. So I'm here to issue a plea for Africa. If you go to that next slide. Let me give you a little history lesson. I did a lot of my doctoral research in this area. This guy by the name of Lyman Beecher, he was like the preeminent preacher in America back in the 1830s. This was back during the, the westward migration. States like Oklahoma were just becoming... Uh, Oklahoma. When did Oklahoma become a state? 
1907 or something, I think I saw. My state, where I come from, Indiana. These were states that were just emerged. That's why they call Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, the Midwest, right? Because anything beyond the Appalachian Mountains was considered, at that time, part of the West. Everybody believed that at that time, that's where the potential of America lay. That's where the future was. And if we want to ensure that America becomes a great nation, we've got to make sure that we do this westward expansion right. If you can go to the next slide, I'm kind of paraphrasing Lyman Beecher's argument. He comes back, he's invited, he's this preeminent preacher, he's invited to go and establish a seminary in this kind of frontier town called Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay? He goes there, he establishes the seminary, he comes back to the East Coast, he preaches this message and it kind of in its own way goes viral back in the day, right? becomes a book and everybody's reading it, everybody's talking about it. And he makes this argument. He says the best way to ensure that the Western United States realizes its potential and fully embraces Christian values is to ensure that there are strong and healthy Christian colleges, seminaries, and universities there. If we want to shape the kind of civilization that we want to see so that it's no longer like you know, the wild, wild west with gunslingers and saloons and saloon girls and all of the, you know, anything goes kind of uh, morality of that era. If we want something other than gunfight at the OK Corral, then we've got to invest in building a Christian civilization with Christian colleges and universities and seminaries. Well, I believe that there is a direct parallel between what was happening in the United States at that time and what's happening in Africa today. So I'm here to issue a plea for Africa along those same lines. And if, you, if I were to just change that quote with one word, take out Western United States and put in Africa, you'd see what I mean, right? The best way to ensure that Africa becomes the Africa that we want it to be, the powerhouse economy where people are guided by values and ethics and, and we're saying no to corruption and we're, we're saying no to, to tribalism, we're saying no to this, all of these negative things that we kind of stereotype in our image about Africa. If we want something different than that bleak picture, if we want a positive picture of Africa for the next century, then we've got to do this well. Christian colleges and universities that's why I'm so pleased with this church, Bethany First Church, because you've partnered much with Swaziland, where we have Southern Africa Nazarene University. I'm at Africa Nazarene University, and you've been helping a lot with Southern Africa. I, I jokingly, with my colleagues down at, at SANU, Southern Africa Nazarene University, I say S-A-N-U doesn't stand for Second Africa, stands for Second Africa Nazarene University, huh? rather than Southern Africa Nazarene University. But it's a great place. Thank you for your investment in Swaziland and all that you're doing there. ANU, let me just tell you quickly about it. ANU began with a vision statement to be a light to the people of Africa, grounded in the Wesleyan tradition, to be the university of choice for those desiring Christ-centered academic excellence. You know, this story of Christian universities popping up even across the United States, SNU is a token of that, right? Trying to do, Bethany, Oklahoma. I, I did doctoral research on Bethany, you know. And Bethany was founded by C.B. Jernigan and Johnny Jernigan. I saw pictures of them in one of the stairwells here. 
trying to shape a Christian society, right? It's what we're trying to do there at ANU in Africa. If you go to the next slide here, ANU began in 1994, so we're just finishing our 20th anniversary year. Some of you I've talked to, you've been there, you were a part of that story, working witness teams that have come over. And we just thank you so much for that. We began in 1994 with 63 students in three programs. If you go to the next slide, I'm proud to get to tell you that we now have over 4,100 students enrolled in over 40 academic and professional programs at ANU, two campuses, four centers. One of those campuses is this one, right downtown Nairobi. Our main campus is outside of town, about 25 kilometers. But we realized if we were really going to minister effectively to especially adult learners who are working in jobs and they don't get off until late, they're not going to come out to our campus outside of town. We've got to go to them right in the central business district. And so we began with a bank building. There were 10 floors, and we took four floors of that bank building. We could have had the old building. We just didn't have enough faith. But almost immediately when we got there, we filled those four floors up. We looked around, and we found another building, the one you saw in that photograph, that was just being completed. And we took the top three floors of that building. It over doubled our capacity. And just within a couple of trimesters, we filled that building up with students and classes and programs. We went to the owner of the building. We said, we heard this building has the capacity to go higher. And so in just a few weeks, we're going to be occupying three additional floors of that building. And so we're so excited about the prospect for growth there. Already that campus serves more than even our main campus uh, serves. And so God is doing a good thing at African Nazarene University. Go to the next slide. This is, uh, this is our graduation trend. I just shared this slide of, about a month ago with our university council at ANU. Our first graduation, we had 27 students graduate. You can see something happening around 2010, 244 graduates that year. Then the next year, 422. Then the next year, 600. Then the next year, 900. And now this year, this last October, 1,149 graduates of ANU. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me to see what God is doing in our context. All of that to produce graduates who have Christian values who will go out and be the salt and light in their society. If you go to the next slide, how do you do Christ-centered academic excellence? You need quality academic programs. We have a program here from our, uh, the, our law program. We have a law school at ANU. And so uh, we're very proud of these these people, bright young faculty. This is on the occasion of them getting their full accreditation. The lady in black is our vice chancellor. That would be like our university president, Professor Leah Morangu. She was, the, she was the first Kenyan woman to ever receive a PhD. Can you imagine that? The first Kenyan woman to, to have a PhD. The first Kenyan woman to be the vice chancellor of a university. And here she is receiving like a ceremonial cake from the dean of the law school. Uh, who himself is just a brilliant young man, already published several books. In fact, just recently, the High Court of Kenya quoted him. <laughs> Can you imagine the Supreme Court quoting you in establishing a precedent kind of a case? Well, uh, this law school is just doing a great job meeting a need in our society. If you go to the next slide, this is, we have a program, Peace and Conflict Studies a whole department with several programs in it, in fact. 
And you know, we have a lot of conflict in our part of the world. Rwanda had a genocide there. Burundi's in the news recently, still struggling with the same ethnic issues. Uh, southern Sudan, with, and Sudan, the rest of the nation of Sudan in conflict. And Somalia is just a mess there even to this day. Well, we decided we wanted to do something about that to try and put in place program after program and this one to help people realize that they can settle their conflicts through negotiation, through talking, through discussion rather than with a panga or an AK-47. We had a banquet. The students organized this banquet, took out a nice room in a nice hotel in Nairobi and invited us to just to come along and be part of it. And these are some of the people who were there. See the man in the tan suit? He is the spokesman for the Kenya police force, the national spokesman for the Kenya police. So whenever there's some kind of a security operation going on and they need to brief the media and the whole nation about it, he's the one doing it. He's our student in the, one of these programs, the Master of Governance, Peace and Security Studies. The lady in the middle in the blue and the green dress, she is a major in the Tanzanian People's Defense Forces. The lady third from your right in gray, she is a senator in Kenya, not a state senator, but a national senator, not just any senator. She is the, she is the chief whip of the majority party. So she's like a high-ranking senator. She's our student in these programs. The guy on the, on the, far, on the far end, my left, your right, he is a brigadier general in the Kenya Defense Forces, and he would be there. He would be the equivalent of second in command of their version of West Point Academy. So you can see that we've got a great opportunity here with these as our students to influence people who are going to be influencers in society. See, we're talking about shaping a civilization here. Let me just wrap up very quickly. If you go to the next slide, we have a Doctor of Ministry program. We're very excited about this. A year ago we began it. So we began with this group of students and they're continuing on in the program. And we're doing this in connection with Nazarene Theological Seminary. Every one of these persons in this picture who are students are persons who are key leaders for the church in Africa or key educators for the church in Africa and now they're getting this opportunity to go to that next level of their education. Lyman Beecher, that guy that I was quoting earlier, he said he complained about we shouldn't have to send our brightest and best from the western United States to the east coast to Harvard, Princeton and Yale for their education. We should be able to educate them right here in Cincinnati or wherever it was. By the same token, we need to be able to educate our brightest and best in Africa at good, strong educational institutions where they'll get the same quality that they would get anywhere else in the world. And that's what we're aiming for at ANU. If you go to the next slide. A few weeks ago, we had a terrorist incident in Kenya. Kenya is kind of on the front line of this terrorism stuff. And there was an attack on Garissa College. Do you remember that in the news a few weeks ago? 147 students of that college were killed basically because they weren't Muslim, they were Christians. They notified the families that something had happened. They told the families, report to the city mortuary in Nairobi and you'll hear about your child. Doesn't sound very promising, does it, if you're told to go to a mortuary? 
They began to fly the bodies back from Garissa to Nairobi and then transport them by ambulance to the city mortuary. And all the time these families are waiting, waiting, waiting. And you know, when that happens, you just, you just run to the scene. You don't think about planning and what you're going to take and not take and stuff like that. And they didn't sort all the details out about who was alive and who was killed for a few days even. And so these families are just there in anguish waiting. We didn't feel like we could just sit by and do nothing. We had prayer vigils at ANU. We even sent one of our chaplains who just showed up there just to minister to these families that were in anguish and grieving and, and, and uncertain about their child. And she came back and said, you know, there's... They're just... They're, they're not prepared to be waiting there for days. And so we gathered like an emergency offering and some food and some stuff and we put it all together that slide you were seeing were some of our students and staff that were meeting together to organize to take these gifts to these families that were there just trying to be the body of Christ to them in our context in many parts around the world because of all this Islamic extremism it would be very easy to just say you know what we don't like those people we don't want anything to do with those people. But in our context, we've decided, you know what? God loves us all. God's love does not discriminate. He wants everybody to come into a relationship with Him. Amen? And so at ANU, we welcome anybody to come and be our student. There are some Christian universities in our area that almost, you know, put a barrier up and they say you must sign a statement of Christian faith in order to be a student. Well, we do that for our faculty, but we don't do that for our students because we want to have the opportunity to influence these people. We want to have the opportunity to, influence, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And so we require all of our students to come to chapel, no exceptions. We require all of our students to take these certain core religion classes Everybody takes them, no exception to that. And so automatically, just by being our students, they get to learn a lot about Christianity, a lot about Jesus Christ, a lot about God's love as their Heavenly Father. I so appreciated the songs that we were singing about how God loves us. We want to proclaim that love. We want to break down some of these barriers that are in our society. And I think they exist here in America even as well. And we want to say... Come and meet Jesus. Come and see Jesus for yourself. Don't just hear about Jesus through your imam, through your sheikh. No, come and learn about the real Jesus. And so pray for us that we'll do even that part of our mission well. I'm here to say thank you. As I mentioned, we're just two of, my wife and I, two of 700 and some missionaries or volunteers or specialized assignment missionaries scattered around the world for the Church of the Nazarene. Not met most of you ever before. We may not meet again, but you have a stake in us. You have been a partner with us in this. And I want to say thank you genuinely from my heart for all that you've done in prayers, finances, your involvement, like I said, in Swaziland, like in Paraguay. I want to encourage you. To, that's my challenge, you know, to take this to the next level, to go even deeper in your commitment. Maybe you should go. Maybe you should sign up for this trip to Paraguay. Maybe you should get to African Nazarene University or Southern African Nazarene University or some other part of the world to expand your horizon to see what God is doing firsthand in these parts of the world. So thank you for that. If you want to know more about the needs we have, specifically my wife and I in our ministries at ANU, you see things like a tractor, a bus, 
you know, oh, I can't tell you how a bus would bless my people over there. But, you know, see us, we'll talk, and we can link you up, do whatever might need to be done. But thank you for giving us the opportunity to share with you and to welcome us into your hearts. We have a table outside there. Find us at the display table. We'll be happy to share with you. May God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.